Welcome to The Beauty of Horror, a podcast dedicated to exploring the unsettling beauty found within our favorite genre. Each episode, I usually sit down with a different guest to discuss a horror film they find particularly beautiful and why. However, with the changing of the seasons comes a shift in our focus. For the next few months, we will be diving into the goop, the gloop, the rancid, and all things gross while taking an uncomfortably close look at the aesthetics of disgust. I'm your host, Chandler Bullock, and my next guest to lead me on this masochistic journey is a horror writer and podcaster from Down Under. She is the host of TGIF, a horror movie podcast, and the co-host of the Club Dead podcast. She's also the founder and co-editor for the recently released book, Hear Us Scream, The Voices of Horror. Beautiful greetings to Kat Benstead. Hello, thank you for having me. Thank you for being on. It's been some time since I've been wanting to have you on. So very, very happy to talk to you on, on my show this yeah. time. Yeah, how cool. Yeah, it's amazing. It's like two worlds when they collide, but <laughs> pleasant, I suppose. <laughs> yes, <laughs> fantastic. <laughs> now, before we begin our discussion, I do like to kick off each episode with a quote that relates to our topic. It can be from philosophy, filmmaking, whatever, but let's face it. It's going to be philosophy. Uh, So today's quote is as follows. Emotions often just happen to us. They come upon us unbidden, prompting responses that we are helpless to control. It is this dimension that courts the synonym passions, that which makes us passive. And it is a description that is especially apt for those reactive modular emotions that include disgust. But even the most reactive emotions are occasions for reflection on the fact that they have occurred at all. Both the pause built into disgust and the reflective aftermath of emotions afford scope for what some have identified as a second-order pleasure in aversion. I'll reveal who said that later and why I felt it was fitting for our discussion today. But first, Kat, you get the age-old question. It's my turn now to ask you... (laughs) How did you start this whole journey into horror? And especially, let's lead up, if you can, briefly. So let's get to your your beginnings, of course. And how did it lead to you releasing this just excellent piece of literature that you've released recently? Well, gosh, um, hard to believe, but I don't really have a long history with horror. Okay. Although I I will admit that um, when I was younger, I did watch horror movies every now and then, but I didn't really associate them with being scary or horror as a genre. Oh. Yeah. My dad brought home The Sixth Sense one one year um, when we, because we'd hire movies every Friday, so he, he brought home The, the Sixth Sense because he's a huge Shyamalan fan. And um, that movie scarred me for life. Like, I'm pretty sure it's <sighs> the reason I have my vomit phobia, but oh, oh, yeah. <laughs> I'm going to blame it on that. Um, mm-hmm. But... Yeah, so I dabbled in horror during my, you know, uh, my teenage years because my aunt is a huge horror fan. So I'd be over there on weekends and I'd watch, you know, the usual suspects, A Nightmare on Elm Street and the Saw series and things that, you know, are kind of more in that mainstream aspect of horror and what most people would see regardless of if they're a fan or not. And then... I have always dated men who love horror, so... (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> it's like they play Xbox and they love horror movies. That's like oh. the thing they've all had in common. 
<laughs> so since my early 20s would be when I've kind of really dived into uh, subgenres and really found things that I love, you know, independent and DIY style films and those schlocky B-grade horror films. And then, yeah, I'd say the pandemic definitely solidified my love of horror and I kind of just pushed my way into the horror community and was like, hey, I love horror movies. Who else does? I think I okay. love them heaps. <laughs> <That's>... <laughs> I think I really like them and you should all be my friend now. <laughs> I, I, you know, that's how it worked out for a lot of people. Yeah, I was like, yeah. I, think, I think I'm okay with saying this now. Yeah. Um, and so then did you get into writing about it and, and treating it more kind of pseudo-academic in it was this a very gradual thing for you or is it because you started to reach out and see people on the internet and kind of like join those circles I think it's a combination of both um okay. I think being able to see others share this intense love that they have through an academic uh, and for me a sociological lens that I realized I could write about my love of horror and include the things that I love about sociology looking at theories and experiments and research that's been done on these you know certain genres in the past and that's what kind of led me to this you know incredibly impulsive tweet that I put out in March last year about putting together a book uh, of personal essays from horror lovers mainly women and non-binary because um, you know I wanted to provide a platform for those voices that aren't necessarily elevated in a way uh, although you know the horror community is incredibly uh, supportive of everyone's voices uh, but I just really love reading these stories from a perspective that I relate to more but right. yeah that led to the book and now we have volume two coming out this year we've already started working on it so we're Incredible. yeah really excited are you trying to make this a kind of annual event or it was this a coincidence that you know we're just two years down the road or was it last year you said that you you, yeah. did, you made the call so that was very fast by the way to get yeah. a book <laughs> produced and curated and published so um yeah i'm sure there are a lot of people who want to know what sort of magic you hold to get that done <laughs> Um, um ADHD. ADHD. That's, that's uh, all you need. <laughs> it, it is true. I mean, most of my endeavors have come from my mental illness just pushing me along as a supportive yeah. <laughs> frenemy, basically. Uh, Absolutely. So I feel you there. Uh, well, okay. So yeah, are you trying to do this more regularly, or did it just happen to be like I kind of just I want to hear more? <laughs> um, definitely both. I do want okay. to release uh, a volume every year, and if not, maybe biannually. Uh, if ah. you know if it be is biannually tw that's twice a year no um every two I years. think it's both I think it's both because isn't it <laughs> I've used it for either and I I've just avoided the term as often as I can for this exact reason <laughs> just in case I use it in the wrong context <laughs> exactly you don't want to be that person right I think I just was that person <laughs> well it, here's the thing you're always that person depending on who's listening to you because you have others who are like mm -hmm. and then you have plenty of other people who are like I think you mean and then they don't have <laughs> another thing to say I just, you mean twice twice a year? You know, I, I get you, though. Um, yeah. <laughs> so you want to do it either every year or every other year? Yeah. If It, right. it depends. Uh, this year we've got 36 essays instead of 25. Wow. So um, it's going to be a lot bigger version. But I've looked at, um, you know, a lot of other anthology series and personal essay series where there are that amount of you know, essays being published into a book. So I feel like it's going to work really well. We've got a team of six editors or five editors, sorry, 
Okay. And then I'll have a proofreading team. And so I think I've come into this volume um, a lot more prepared in managing um, my own workload. Uh, Violet, who is my co-editor at Hear Us Scream, is an amazing, supportive human being who honestly I don't think I would have gone into volume two and decided to do volume two without her, like, unwavering support so um, I honestly wouldn't be able to do any of the things that I do without having you know her there helping me and being like hey we can do this what do you need what what do we got to do and so um, it's just it's it's a wholesome experience we've chosen our contributors so they've started writing and I think within I want to say the next two weeks we'll be announcing writers and also launching the Indiegogo campaign for this volume so very exciting, exciting stuff. Yeah. <laughs> Very exciting. So keep your eyes peeled on social media because yes. I don't know why. I just, anytime there's some sort of publication like this, especially these sorts of publications where it's not, you, you remember We Are Horror. That was another thing where yeah. it's like when they come up every now and then, Grimm is another one as well. Mm. I just find them so special to hear who's going to be a part of it because it's kind of like seeing people shine for just yeah. a moment. And yeah. I guess even it's kind of like seeing when people get picked for a Fangoria edition as well. So yep. it's just so it's like horror journalism Christmas. You're just seeing <laughs> who do I Wait know until is going to show up. Who we have then? I'm so oh, excited. Don't even don't tease me. <laughs> <laughs> you had a great lineup last time, so I can only imagine um, if you have more people than last time. Just how robust of a talent pool you have managed yeah. to. Uh, a symbol let's put it yes. that way and the pictures are fantastic um we had a meeting recently and the editors we just all sat in a discord call like fangirling over all the pictures that we got <laughs> well there you go everybody if you ever wonder what happens in the editor room that's it it's probably it's us squealing us exactly. screaming over pictures because <laughs> it's always calm though right when you're announcing things to the people yeah. if you're talking to them you're like thank you very much for your pitch uh, we'd be happy to Run yeah. This. Whereas back behind scenes, you're probably just like, "Have you all seen this?" I'm dying. I can't believe they submitted a pitch to my book. They've submitted to my book, and they want to write about this. And oh my god, they are like the expert on this particular topic. And you know, I know they write about it so much, and I love that they're going to talk about their own personal experiences in regards to these movies. And you know, some of these people are experts in their field of what they're writing about. And I'm just like, I'm floored. I am absolutely flawed every single day, pinching myself, I swear. So then would you say that you're also just as much of a fan of the people who kind of, the, the think-piecers, if you will, of horror as much as the people who create it on a fictional level? Yeah, absolutely. Okay. So in this new edition, you, obviously you can't announce anything right now, so <laughs> let's stick to things you can say. Just to say a number... How many of those people were people that you were like, I can't believe this is happening? Um, 36. <laughs> That's a good answer. Good answer. <laughs> well, actually, we had uh, 60 pitches come through. So 60. Wow. Absolutely 60. And um, okay. I hope that for the next edition, because everything was amazing. Every single submission that we got, I was like, I want to publish all of them, but obviously I can't. I hate saying no because I'm a yes man. And <laughs> so it was really hard to, you know, uh, send out those rejection emails. And I have offered s most of them um, like a paid editorial spot for Hero Screen. So okay. 
I haven't sent them their email yet, but I've like budgeted for having their piece if they want to, or if not, they can hold mm-hmm. on to it for for the next volume. And right, okay. Yeah, there'll be a separate selection process for them as opposed to what we'll do for all the other pictures. So right. So then. Yeah. For those who may not be aware, you also then have a website, yes. correct? That yeah. you also use just to kind of keep this going all year round. Yeah, yeah. So at the moment, we're very review and interview heavy. I think it's just that time mm-hmm. of year at the moment. It is. Yeah. I was like, I've just covered Boston Underground Film Festival. And then, uh, what was the other one? There was one in the UK that I covered. And then Grimfest is next weekend for their Easter festival. So I'm like, oh my god, it's just that time of year. <laughs> busy, 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 busy. Yeah. yeah, the festival season is upon the kind of eastern hemisphere, uh, yeah. or at least thereabouts. And I yeah, guess some of, as well. uh, some of the U.S. as well, I suppose. Um, mm. It's weird, right? Horror is year-round, despite what people like to think. Of course, it's more <laughs> active in the autumn, but yeah. you know, you got to get your you know Valpurgis moments as well, I suppose. Mm. The equinoxes demand a sacrifice <laughs> of writing. I demand the sacrifices. Uh, we have a festival here, not next weekend, the weekend after. It's called uh, Fantastic Fest. Right. And um, they are, you know, gonna, this is going to blow your mind. They are showing a 4K remastered version of Possession. Yes. Oh, I so, knew you were going to say, ah, oh, yes. Okay. <laughs> so I'm going to that, hopefully. I think I have that day to myself. I'm so, so upset because <laughs> the Imagine Festival, which is the one in Amsterdam where I you know, usually live. Yeah. Everybody who's listening now knows I'm, I'm currently in the United States, just visiting. But they ran a little kind of halfway year weekend thing just around the time that I was about to leave. I think it was no! the week before I left. So I, I could have done it, but I was preparing everything for work. I was just on fumes, yeah. didn't have any time to just do something like that. <laughs> and they showed the 4K copy of Possession. Oh, uh, no. Because I have a, cop- a copy, but it's not... I have it on Blu-ray, but I don't think right. it's a remastered version. No, this is just released. Like, the reason yeah. it's hitting festivals is because they're going to come out with the pressing. Yeah. Probably right after the run. Oh, well, I'll have to get that then. Oh, yeah. I wonder who's going to get it, too. You know, yeah. I'm assuming whoever did the Texas Chainsaw Massacre stuff. But even then, that's not come out in 4K. You know, that's oh. only been... You get the 4K Master on Blu-ray. Yeah. But I haven't seen the actual 4K Blu-ray yet. Unless it's a... I think they just announced it maybe like a month ago or so. Oh, so. I'll have to check that out. Because the fantastic thing is that a lot of US-based blu-ray like specialty websites like criterion and stuff um (laughs) they do region free releases some of them which is amazing for me because then i'm like oh my god i can actually buy this i you know finally (laughs) if you have a 4k setup then it's always region free which is also amazing yes i have a ps5 so i think that's 4k it is it is excellent so you're you are set up very cool yeah because i I don't tend to get things from Shout Factory because it's going to be regioned to the United States. Yeah. But since I was here, I was like, well, I might as well get some movies because I'm mm. here. <laughs> you know, I'll just leave them <laughs> here for whenever I visit. Take and my money. Exactly. You're right. You know, here, take my money. And one thing I got to make sure that I could take it home with me is they have the 4K release of The Craft that's coming out Ooh. in May. So I pre-ordered that because that way I know that although I can't watch the Blu-ray when I go home without the specialty yeah. products, I can watch the 4K one, which is what's more important to me in the first place. So. Yeah, absolutely. 
Uh, Umbrella here, um, Umbrella Entertainment do amazing releases in their series called Beyond Genres, and mm-hmm. that's where I got Possession. I also have Slither. Um, I think I got, what else did I get? Oh, I can't even see them. Oh, <laughs> Psycho Goreman, but they just oh, released um, Cronenberg's Crash. So Ooh. I'm going to go out and get that this weekend. Yes, do that. Sounds like they're getting a lot of Arrow releases. Yeah. Material. Yeah. I think I think they might. I think that maybe Arrow and, and Umbrella do them together. I'm, I'm not too Could sure. Because be. you can't yeah. get Arrow releases here. Right. So that makes sense. Yeah. That might okay. be it. Yeah. Well, I'm happy for you that you're getting Thank all you. these wonderful things. And, you know, especially from the festival as well. It makes it even so more special, right? It's just wonderful. Yeah. I've got to find a time to go now. <laughs> yeah, right. That's the problem. Yeah. Yeah. I uh, got a quick question then before we get into yeah. the the meat of our episode. Yeah, see what I did there. The meat. Um, <laughs> yeah, yes. I was curious. So we've talked a little bit about the writing, your book. I'm also curious since I know you predominantly as a podcaster. When did that kind of happen? How did you start oh. your podcast, and what's it about for anybody who may kind of be curious to have a more of a playlist for themselves on their podcast platforms? Yeah, absolutely. So TGIF, a horror movie podcast, is my horror comedy podcast where I have a new guest on every fortnight at the moment just because I'm working and I am studying full time, so I just don't have wow. the time to do weekly episodes anymore. Uh, it kind of just started out as something to do during the pandemic when it started in 2020. So it was a way that I could connect with people. I could socialize and Mm -hmm. also just watch a whole bunch of movies because I had so much time. We were in lockdown, you know, three months at a time in my country. So uh, it was kind of hard to get out there and and be around other people, especially because I'm immunocompromised and stuff. So I was like, oh, I want to stay home. Let's do a podcast. And so... I love talking about horror movies and I also love that no matter how incredibly terrifying a podcast might be to somebody, it can also be fun. Yeah. Like there's always an element of humor and that's just who I am. Like uh, laughing is such a, an important part of every day for me and it's so cathartic and I, yeah, I just love having a good laugh about things, even if they're scary and horrifying. You should. Yeah, I've had that discussion when I was talking with Trace Thurman. He was also talking about how you got to be able to laugh at the terrible shit that's going on yeah. in life. Otherwise, it just stays terrible. Exactly. And you got to survive it somehow. You got to make it through. And it's it's yeah. just good fun. And it's I think I feel like I'm making horror accessible to non-horror lovers. So if they don't want to watch the movie, they can still listen to the podcast. They get to hear all about the movie and how funny it is without having to watch it. So <laughs> I'll save them the trauma of that. <laughs> also, perspective goes a long way, too. At least that's what I found with some of the conversations here and being on your show and other shows as well. If you choose to see it from a different perspective, you may actually find that you can make something more palatable for yourself if you just decide to look at it the way that the person that you admire looks at it. And Absolutely. then maybe people could, you know, sit into something like, I don't know, martyrs, because they've listened to somebody who had a bit of a tongue in cheek approach to it, they can suddenly go, There is some sort of like the extremity does suddenly make you a little giddy as opposed yeah. to really r- rattling you the whole time. Absolutely. And I recently did watch Martyrs for the second time. I, I watched it when it first came out. 
because <laughs> my sister, who was quite young at the time, was like, "I, uh, Kat, I've heard about this really horrifying movie. Can we watch it? And I was traumatised watching it. And so <laughs> having, watching it with like a whole new love of horror, um, mm-hmm. it was such a, uh, an amazing experience to be able to watch it in a way where I appreciated the extremity. And, right. um, you know, I think I had these assumptions that I had built watching it the first time that when I just kind of avoided it for so long because I thought, you know, I thought that flaying scene went for like 10 minutes, but it doesn't. No. You know, it's it's such a short period of time and there's so much depth and nuance to that scene that I appreciate it so much more than I did 10 years ago. I, I've seen it twice but in very close proximity of each other. I have not yeah. seen it since. I did watch it back in like 2007. I, well, it is also one of those that, I think it was 2007, let's say, whenever it came out. Uh, yeah, I have definitely kept from watching it as well, just from the exact same response of just sitting there staring, you know, just blindly, basically, at an empty screen when the movie was over, just thinking yeah. like, okay. <laughs> uh, it's one of those films, though, that, I do think that the reputation is stronger than the imagery in it. It's just more the emotionality of the film is what I think gets to people because uh, let's face it in a lot of horror, especially Western mainstream horror, you're not really set up to feel much apart from a startle every now and then. So when you have a movie that is just as dramatic as it is terrifying, I think that was just (laughs) something people were not ready for, for any filmmaker to create. No. And I think at the time, people were only just becoming acquainted, like people in Western horror were only just becoming acquainted with French horror. Like mainstream horror watchers were only just being, you know, thrown these incredible films and not knowing what to do with them. Yeah, they kind of just dove onto us, didn't they? They just kind (laughs) of showed up all around the same time. Uh, even the more dramatic ones as well, like I think we have La Haine, I think that's how it's pronounced, uh, The Hate, if you were to translate it. That's like 2004, okay. or actually that might have been 1994 even. But you have this like late 90s, early 2000s period where it's just like French movies. They're just everywhere suddenly, and they're yeah. all really just aggressive and extreme. And before then, if you saw a French movie, it's probably like Amalie, maybe, you know? Yeah, Taitois, <laughs> you know? Yeah, yeah, exactly. So, along those lines, you're watching Jean Reno, you're not watching you know people having their body you know destroyed by a crazy religious cult Uh, exactly no (laughs) uh or slowly but surely coming to terms with who you are as a person yeah just like today's film actually that's a great segue hey i i have so much to process still (laughs) because i saw it for the first time today and before we get into all that cat what film are we discussing today so today we're going to be discussing the 2016 release of raw directed and written by julia ducourneau i'm so happy you said her name and i didn't have to <laughs> i've been struggling with like how do i pronounce your name um i have that with french names so i'm sorry for anybody if i pronounce names i i, I try really hard to pronounce names correctly but french always kind of trips me up for some me reason me too <laughs> Uh, but you sounded lovely. I think, I think you nailed thank you. it. I think that's how it's pronounced. <laughs> De Corneau, okay. De Corneau. Yeah, I've heard so much about her work. I've heard so much about Raw. I am not a big fan of the cannibal genre. Yeah. So when it came out, I was just like, I don't care. 
I was very apathetic to Raw when it came out. I was like, I'm sure it's great. I just don't care. And I kind of treat that like most movies that way. If I don't have a pull to it, you know, there are other people to talk about it than me. Yeah. But I'm on a podcast now. I do what the guests want. And so it was a great <laughs> opportunity to watch this one. And it's not as if it was against my will. I was actually getting more and more curious about it because uh, Titan is one that I desperately want to see. Oh, please do. <laughs> well, uh, without spoiling anything, let's just say I will. Let's just say I will. And uh, this is a great way to warm it up because I'm happy to have seen this before that to kind of have that evolution in mind as we, you know, see her directorial and writing style change. Yeah. For anybody who has not seen Raw, I have the briefest synopses from IMDb for you that states, A young woman studying to be a vet develops a craving for human flesh. Yeah. Yeah, that sounds. I it guess. Up. <laughs> um, sure. <laughs> no nuance. Yeah, exactly. This is the, the response I tend to have. This is why I like using IMDb in this because where we're about to go with it, you're going to be like IMDb. Come on. Uh, <laughs> but I am happy with this one, even if it's not necessarily giving you any of the vibe of the film. It's giving you enough to see if you want to watch it. But I yeah. will say, it it can be a deterrent if you just read that. Yes, this movie goes there. Yes, this movie is what people say it is. However, it is so well done. It is not one of those movies that I feel that is taking its time to gross you out so much as it is grossing you out to prove a point, basically. And I like that. I like when a film has this air of purpose to it. And... Well, mainly your gross-out movies. They don't always have to have a purpose, but a gross-out movie. If you're just there to make me go, like a movie like Slither, it's not necessarily an easy watch for me. Um, I do, but a good body horror for me is one that is using the body as a a vessel for some sort of point that is mainly a feeling. And I I think that that was achieved very well here. But I have to ask you then. So I, I came to you, we were running out, on beauty so i was like okay you have the other three to choose from you chose disgust and you gave me quite a (laughs) list i'm the one who picked raw out of the list that you gave but i will say there was kind of a theme going on in the list that you gave me there's a lot of like sad ladies hurt themselves a lot kind of movies so i'm just curious um what drove you to really want to talk about this in in this context I think because we all have these uh, very objective opinions on what disgusting and being gross is, or being mm-hmm. grossed out. And I think that the way that disgust is depicted throughout this film is such a unique and animalistic perspective that I really appreciated the context in which it was created and the the point that this is making in regard to like autonomy and morals and choices and basically harnessing your own power in a way. Mm-hmm. And yeah, I just, I, I kind of had like a raw renaissance at the start of the year where I was watching it a lot. And then one of my writers wrote a love letter to raw. And so my brain was like, I need to talk about this movie and just get it out there. Have you spoken about it on a podcast before? No, I haven't. Really? Is, yeah, considering my really strange obsess- obsession with it lately. 
<laughs> well, I'm happy to provide. <laughs> Thank you. Uh, you know, there's nothing quite like a verbal dissection of a film yeah. like this. So absolutely, uh, this is going to get interesting. I agree with you on your points about it too, about autonomy and and kind of finding oneself. And there, of course, there's that bleakness too when we're getting into the more genetic part of it. How they're okay. We're going to talk spoilers. If you haven't seen it. <laughs> Please go check it out because I will say this is one of those movies that despite it being as clear cut as that one sentence, there are things to spoil. And I don't just mean events. There are actual game changing moments in the film that take yeah. place. So especially there around the end, as any film would probably put their big game changing moment. So please, spoiler alert, three, two, one. At the end, when <laughs> she's talking to her parents, and she being Justine as our protagonist, played by, I'm going to try this, Garanza Marie, I think is how you say that. And she is sitting with her parents after her sister Alexia has been arrested for murdering her housemate, <laughs> well, her dorm mate, I should say, yes. in college, yeah. and eating parts of his leg and all that wonderful stuff. And her dad finally lets loose that, yeah, her mom's that way too. So you find out that it's more of like a hereditary disorder that they have. They have like genetic cannibalism if they ever taste any blood of any kind. And that's why they're vegetarians. And it's such an interesting... He even has this whole, yeah, I'm sure you'll do better. Like it's such a parent's yeah. kind of, I know it sucks, but yeah, you'll deal with it. And we're like, deal with what? <laughs> and I like how it just kind of ends on this note. It's very bleak. And especially because you just had a film indeed that was showing somebody who was going through all of the self-discovery thinking was all her problem and then little by little you start finding out that it is she is othered in that sense but it there might be more to it than that and it's probably going to be a lot harder for her based on the information we get at the end of the film which is the frenchest way to handle this in my opinion really <laughs> it's um it's really fascinating because we're presented uh with justine as this very meek timid individual who undergoes this you know radical transformation while she's discovering her identity and learning the ropes of being autonomous uh i think she's only meant to be 16 or 17 in the film and she's off to college to basically go into the same uh field of work as her parents and so it, it shows that Justine at the start doesn't really have that individualism that uh, mm -hmm. ident that identity formation of I am my own person because we do see her with her parents at a truck stop eating and you know her mother panics when there's meat in her food which we eventually realize why her mother panics <laughs> but yeah uh, yeah <laughs> I love that at first I'm just like, ah, oh, so French. You're going to be all uppity about your freaking vegetarian food. Now I'm like, no, yeah, <laughs> oh, no, that's, oh, yeah. That's mm. that is dangerous. You, you, yes, don't do that. Too. Don't do that. <laughs> and they kind of, yeah, like, I, and they treated Justine as a chronically ill person. And myself being, uh, you know, with a chronic illness, I'm, I, I related to that whole uh, being, you know, wrapped up in cotton wool and trying you know, that identity search is much harder when you're under those restrictions and expectations. And she's right. kind of just like set free into college and it's like, okay, off you go now. But I'm not going to tell you what to do and that you are a cannibal. I'm just going to let you find out for yourself. 
Yeah, and you, they're going to let you find out in veterinary school around carcasses of animals, yeah. lots of blood, um, and knowing what the hazing ritual is. Hmm. Yeah, terrifying. And especially mm-hmm. because you can see that a lot of Justine's anxieties are linked to the consumption of meat. Because, you know, her parents have probably lied to her about why she can't eat meat. And so there's also that discovery around this uh, restriction of her life to realize, oh, shit, I really shouldn't be eating meat because now I want to eat raw meat and I want to eat people. Yes. <laughs> that's where, that's where um, the French extremity of it all starts coming into play. Absolutely. Um, but it, that whole build up to it, this girl who is under the thumb of her parents who are not being honest with her and she can feel it and she sees her sister who's like i'm not like that yet you can you tell them we're vegetarians it's the moment they're trying to give her the rabbit liver and her sister's just looking at her like she's just lost her mind because the sister has already branched out and become her own person although the film does kind of beg the question did she really because she's still trying to follow in the footsteps of the parents as the vet in the school probably exploring all of this in the same way her mother did because they said her mother looked really happy when she was in the school we don't get a lot of answers to this other than seeing their father covered with all the scars at the end of the film showing that the only way she's not running around killing people is that she just gets a little bite out of him every now and then and then she eats vegetarian food all the time to have sustenance yeah but apart from that we don't know what the deal was there who brought up what why when any of that so for as far as we know she could be very much the same as alexia the the older sister and still you know luring people in and killing them who knows so i do find that an interesting thing to show Uh, you know you see this a lot in films especially stories of autonomy of somebody who is trying desperately to get out of the shadow of their family and I just love that this one decides to do it in a way that is just so unique and visceral. Oh, oh yeah. It's in your face. It's definitely, uh, I love Ducorno as a filmmaker because uh, she doesn't shy away from anything from the scenes. <laughs> there is, yeah, nothing is off limits. And I think it's fantastic that there's this uh, boundary breaking element to her filmmaking because there are gross things out there and people do think about gross things and showing this on a platform such as film and media is so fascinating and um i just love that yeah she is not held back she doesn't hold back and Mm -hmm. there's a there's a couple of scenes that are really gross for me all right and quite disgusting so there is a scene after Justine uh, consumes that rabbit liver and she breaks out in a rash and she's in the doctor's yeah. surgery and the doctor is like peeling parts of it off her. And I was just like that. The, there was sound. There mm-hmm. was like oh, texture to the whole thing. Like, oh, yeah, it gave me the heebie-jeebies. And then for the listeners who are just listening as you were saying before (laughs) listening to this because they don't want to experience the film let me just kind of help along with this because i don't think you should be spared entirely no (laughs) to to say that it has texture to it we're talking about when the sound is like it's like crispy you know the flaky skin that comes off with sunburn it has this kind of like really thin chip flake kind of sound to it 
Um, so here's a funny thing about me. This is going to say something about me for sure. <laughs> um, I found it so satisfying to watch that scene. <laughs> And it's because I have had that rash before. Oh, um, no. I'm allergic to penicillin and therefore allergic to amoxicillin, which is what they give you oh, very no. often in the United States as your antibiotic. And I didn't find out until well, the penicillin we found out when I was very young. But amoxicillin being an offshoot took a lot longer for it to really start being absorbed as an allergen for me. And when it hit, I think I was like 15 or so. And I just had the worst rash just all over the insides of my arms, down my mm. legs, chest, everything, just like her. And I had the peeling too. And I just, I've always had it with sunburns, all of this. There's just something so satisfying of getting this shit off of you. <laughs> and it's kind of, you never did the thing with the Elmer's glue that you put it on your hand and try to peel off no. your handprint. Oh, see, that's something that we do a lot as kids. And it is gross because it's this flaky thick glue that's on your hand but you wait for it to dry and see if you can peel it off in one go almost as if you're like a master peeler that'd be satisfying it is and (laughs) i you know having had my own medical problems i just kind of you have to find as you say the 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 fun of it all and so i just tried to see if how big of a piece i could peel off in one go without like breaking it so to see this doctor just like magnificently just peeling off huge sheets of skin off of her i was just like yeah, it's almost like watching the Pringle can go into the tube for me. I, it was so weird. But I, I was texting my partner. We were watching together from a distance, uh, each on a different Netflix account. And I was like, this is very satisfying. She's like, you're very weird. <laughs> I love I she it, tends though. to like things like that, too. But yeah, I don't know. I was just, I could, I was kind of wincing, but for the, only because of her pain. I knew what kind of yeah. itching she was going through. But uh, the peeling, I I, I, I like that scene. <laughs> I get, I get this. I understand. I'm one of those people that, you know, when you get a new electronic and you've got that clear bit of plastic that you get yeah. to pull off. Yeah. I love that. It's my That's favorite. That's it. So when you get that fresh skin underneath, I don't know, it's just, she's healing and it was nice and refreshing. <laughs> but also gross. <laughs> oh, very gross. Of course. Uh, for sure. I'm not going to deny that, but I guess I just, I, that turned off on me completely. I was just like, nice. Nice. So what nice. was... <laughs> another scene because you said there are a few of them what's another one that got you uh there's a scene where justine is throwing up and is pulling like a wad of hair from her stomach yeah which i'm Whoa. assuming would be because she chews her hair i I'm, I'm assuming that's how it got there because we don't really see that do we we do uh the scene oh. it's very subtle though that's what i loved about ah. this the, this movie's so grounded and i will say what got me the most in the film justine just made me anxious the whole way through because when i get anxious she was showing a lot of the same body language and visual like her the way her eyes were looking and stuff expressions oh that i would go through so i was just like with her and the scene where she's being chastised by the teacher for helping adrian cheat yeah she's got a curl of her hair in her mouth the whole way through she's pushing it in with one finger and she's just going no 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 and it remind i used to do that uh my hair was about as long as hers in high school and i used to suck on the tips of my hair if i got nervous or if i was thinking and yeah. so i was shocked though to see that she's been eating it i was like oh, yeah well that's it's what very happens character. um yeah because I, I was i used to suck my hair as a kid as well and okay. my grandma would always say, you know, parts of that is going to break off and go and sit in your stomach. You really need to stop chewing your hair. And it doesn't come off in like long pieces like you'd assume that it does. 
it, it's just tiny little bits that just break off and go and sit in your stomach. But she looks like she's been like eating it from her scalp down. Yeah. <laughs> oh no, yeah. Oh. I think that she's been doing it for so long, and that yeah. I think that one scene was just to show what happens when she's nervous. But we already got a sense earlier in the film that she's pretty much always a little nervous. Yeah. So it just shows like every time she's been going to the bathroom, she's probably just been chewing her hair while she's looking at herself in the mirror or whatever. Um, so you get all these clumps. My brother has like this really, really long beard that isn't a long beard so much as it is the lack of the rest of the beard leaving him. So because, you know, your hair just grows and falls out yeah. and grows. So he's been braiding the beard together as like one little strand, like a <laughs> rat tail. And he does have to brush it and stuff every now and then, but he has to be really gentle because essentially it's like a lot of dead hair that's just yeah. hanging on for dear life. It's like there's, He's had it for so long, you can see the gradient of colors as he's kind of aged in this Oh my beard. gosh. <laughs> so there's no rhyme or reason to why it's still one piece. It's not like one long Ow. strand of hair. It's exactly what happened with her. It's just clumps yeah. of hair. Oh. that has stayed together that's gross in and of itself right yeah absolutely and it's because <laughs> we we know why she's chewing her hair as well but yeah the fact that it came up in the way that it did and you know her gagging as she's like pulling it from her throat oh my gosh horrible horrifying yeah, yeah. Uh, i i see the only reason i have like the, the vomit phobia as well but mainly just from doing it i just don't like it, it yeah I, I get the heaves and it hurts. I don't like it. Mm. Um, so yeah, hearing her is like, oh god, yeah. It's reminding me of all the times I've had a stomach flu, but with an empty stomach. Ugh, oh, it's terrible. yeah, yeah. That's so bad. Yeah, and I can't handle people gagging like that either. That scene kind of oh, got yeah. to me. Yeah. For me, I think the grossest scene. I'm trying to think of what really got me. I, honestly, I will say, not a lot of the visual stuff grossed me out so much as it gave me that like somatic response i suppose a lot of pain yeah it's just like oh i can't deal with pain on the screen so well but me i, I there's a lot of the social stuff for me that's where i was getting grossed out you yeah. know seeing these people the way they were treating her and and a lot of her the, all the, the hazing and stuff like that but i guess if i had to choose like a physical moment probably when alexia took a chunk out of her cheek oh the, yeah when they're fighting each other i just went oh like <laughs> that was such oh, a God. deep bite oh the oh, finger yeah. that that's, oh, and the that's finger. what got me the finger was the one <laughs> i can't deal with that stuff I, I i saw color out of space and saw it coming I, have you seen that movie yeah okay so you know the moment where the mother's chopping the carrots oh yeah i saw it coming i, oh. I knew it was coming yeah. And I just can't deal with it. Bones breaking, limbs I'm the being same, moved. yeah. <laughs> uh, I can handle uh, anything except for bones breaking. <laughs> there you go. And the moment Alexia like held her hand up and there was no finger and she just like passed out, I was like, mm, same, yeah. Same, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and it stays with you. That whole scene just keeps just sitting there and just oh, yeah. staying. And it just takes its time. How she sniffs the finger, all these little details. I i really wanted it to end so oh, yeah. badly it but gets, of course um, they definitely the the disgusting elements of the film are something that is lingered on and it's unsettling and it's like you're gonna sit with this uh because it's disgusting and you have no choice mm -hmm. so uh yep. are you uncomfortable now <laughs> 
you're about to be worse yeah mm. exactly absolutely oddly enough i don't know how you feel about it but all the veterinary stuff apart from watching an animal being sedated uh that was just a little harrowing because if you're not used to seeing that you know if, if you like animals you don't really want to see them looking all sad uh but that didn't gross me out but none of them really grossed me out so much i, I guess i've just i remember in my own biology classes having to dissect pigs and things so i'm i was okay with that as sad as it was to see dogs looking like that it was just kind of like eh, you know but you get a human finger cut off with a pair of scissors and i don't know i just can't anymore <laughs> i think that the um the clinical structure of where they are in that veterinary school really sets them up to also oppress like inhibitions that the girls yeah. have and so by having it in a veterinary school with animals and then having these girls behave like animals is a really interesting contrast because yeah they're meant to that they are animalistic they're doing things uh-huh. by instinct and nature and i think it's just showing this very interesting alignment between human beings and their inhibitions and just a regular animal doing regular animal things i love that you bring this up because yes an observation i made about this when i was watching it is not only was it animalistic you see that a lot especially in cannibal oriented stories but that usually is just somebody raving right just yeah (laughs) (laughs) and not communicating and they're just swiping like they're just being quote-unquote wild i loved how uh de Corneau actually tried to make them look like animals that are in the film so that my favorite shot i think from the entire film right now i'm sure if i watch it again there'd be a different shot but this shot is that one that sticks in my head the most right now is when you have alexia and justine fighting around the end of the film in the square when everybody's watching oh yeah you have the moment where they detain them and they're holding on to the collars of their shirts like rabid dogs that are at yeah. a dog fighting uh, thing and i just loved how they were on their knees on all, like hands and knees lunging forward like dogs looking at everybody with the same look in their eyes the way a mad dog would i was just like oh my god they're dogs it was amazing how it was such a quick moment too they don't linger on that at all it's really like they let them go and they stand up and they're people again because I think that she was trying, at least from what I get from the, I haven't seen in the interviews, but I, you know, the the vibe of the way it was shot, trying not to like make them come across like some supernatural entity. They're just in a moment, and yeah. it's just a nice filmmaking shot, and I loved it so much. Yeah, absolutely. That that not only that scene, but also the scene where Alexia takes Justine out to the road and they're pretending to be it's like a deer in the in you know the headlights kind of situation where they're distracting the driver to cause an accident and usually what would you find on the middle of the road in you know farmland an animal and then yeah yeah, and then her eating you know having a munch on the guy's brain um or the back of his head and the way that (laughs) her the way that justine reacts shows her um, unwillingness at that point to give in to those instincts and she's like oh you're disgusting Alexia why would you do that why, True. Why, what the hell and I think that just shows her um, her resilience to wanting to give in to her nature 
And so I think it's really interesting because the film I see and I've seen others write about is this coming of age for Justine. And this, right. you know, going through the the movements and and whatnot to, you know, that identity formation, which, you know, we usually typically see in developmental psychology of finding your place in the world, finding your identity, who am I sexually, who am I, what is my personality, and where do I fit into the world? And Justine obviously just wants to be normal and just go about absolutely... Because uh, she's very flies under the radar of everybody, really, you know. And I think her giving into that cannibalistic side of her won't let her fly under the radar for too much longer. And it it keeps her from doing so very much. So when she gets filmed by Alexia, when she's really really high and yep. is trying to eat a guy's hand in the bathroom, yeah, uh, which oh that was one of the saddest scenes in the whole film. It was I really think. horrible. If you've ever been hazed or teased like that in a kind of school setting, well, yeah, I've been there. Not, nothing quite like that, but definitely, you know, that sort of bullying where people are trying to take something out of context yeah. to make you look worse than you are. Now, granted, it, it, there is context here. That is exactly what she's doing, but <laughs> <laughs> it's just an interesting turning point for her i think that's exactly the moment where she decides she doesn't want to be that person as well is mm. you know alexia just walks around and it is this animalistic carnal beast who loves sex and loves to eat and loves to fuck around and and i mean fuck about too you know she really loves to like get up in people's faces and break yeah. the establishment and justine's like i just want to be a vet yeah <laughs> basically i just want to study I'm, okay just leave me alone you can be that yeah. person but I think it's really interesting having uh, Alexia as that juxtaposition to Justine because Alexia, like you said, has lent into that carnal element of herself, whereas mm -hmm. Justine is denying it and it's obviously escalating for her and it's not working out the way that she wants it to. Yeah, exactly. And it's weird too, right, how she's denying it, but at the same time she's in that process of trying to accept it. Yeah. Funnily, it's this bond with her sister both on an emotional level and on that physical level that really gets us going because it's alexia's finger that she f finds as the first safe piece of human meat to try yeah because it's her sister which is a very sister thing to do i suppose it's like you're not gonna <laughs> get his finger back i'm sorry <laughs> uh. but what's really great about that is that alexia doesn't throw justine under the bus not immediately, at least, no. Well, not not right there and then. <laughs> no, no, she was pretty cool about it, actually. I love yeah. how she's like, all right, kid, I need to teach you something about that. You know, she's yeah. just sad to see that, oh, you have it too. Yeah, yeah. And I, I think that that's a, a nice element, even though, you know, it gets quite fucked up uh, towards the end, especially their relationship and uh, what happens to, uh, what's his name, Adrian. Yeah, the, I don't know. Alexia, I think, means well. But, um, you know, when we are giving in to temptation and giving in to this darker side of ourselves, what necessarily is the right thing to do? Right. In a way, now this is going to be a weird comparison, but bear with me. I kind of feel the relationship between Alexia and Justine is, in a, it's kind of what I wanted from the craft. The one oh, okay. thing I don't like about the original craft is, and I, I forget her name, is it Sarah? Was that the main character's name? Yes, yeah. Okay. I hated Sarah so much because she's just <laughs> this 
I just walk in and I'm perfect at everything kind of situation. And it was a very typical 90s protagonist. I I kind of got Nancy here where I was like, yeah, well, yeah, you know, you're, you're trying to... Granted, she takes it way overboard. Don't get me wrong there. But I just felt like it would have been so cool if it had been a little sister. So if you had Nancy bringing in a family member into it and then having to struggle with somebody that's close to you, you know, surpassing you this way. I think then her responses to things would have been a bit more understandable. I think that it would have been a very interesting just dissection of that sort of relationship. Whereas the way we get it now, it's good movie making you know it's a good story it's just that with having her as a pure outsider it is kind of justified to have anybody being like yeah i'm working my ass over here and you just kind of walk in and you're okay with it and you don't even know that you can do it yeah if you have it as part of that family i that's what this movie kind of gives me more of because you have alexia who's very upset that justine is this prodigal child when it comes to science she's just perfect and knows how to do everything to the point that her teachers are also trying to be mean to her and then you have the fact that, at the very least, Alexia knows about their disorder. Yeah. And kind of holds that over her head, like, well, I know something you don't know. How about that? Which is very sisterly to do. And I think that's what makes the movie so interesting, is that it is a familial situation that we're dealing with here. Yeah, absolutely. The great thing is that it's very authentic as well, in the way that we ha- we see sibling rivalry, we see... Mm-hmm. Um, you know, sibling interactions as well. Uh, I, I really enjoyed it for that for that part because I am one of six children, and oh, I wow. absolutely yeah, I know all about sibling rivalry and those complex relationships that we build with our siblings. It's it felt very genuine. Yeah, I am technically an only child. I have a brother, but a literal brother from another mother. Um, <laughs> so his mother and my mother were essentially housemates for like 20 years so when i was three they moved in until the day that i moved out so that's so cool yeah and i visited him on this trip as well and uh we're we're connecting a little bit more and so i kind of know it but we were raised to be two different families that way we could have that division of like well you know his family does things this way our family does things this way Christmases had to be a, a negotiation on what traditions we were going to do, things like that. He got to watch particular programming I couldn't watch, yada, yada, yada. <laughs> so I don't know it quite as well, but I do know it from other people. I also have a colleague who is a family of, like, I think, from a four. And some of the stories I've heard, <laughs> you would think they hate each other, but they love each other oh, immensely. Yeah. That's normal. Even though, you know, borderline attempted murders <laughs> seem to take place in some of these households. Um, <laughs> So it all I am sounded not pretty... confirming nor denying. Okay, I see, I see. <laughs> you do very well in court with that. That's good. Um... <laughs> I like to think so. You like to... <laughs> and but I love that even in the end, nobody's against each other in this movie, because although Alexi is in jail, Justine's still there to support her. Upset, but still supporting her sister. That's her sister. Yeah. So just disappointed, which you are often with your family, right? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. There's also, as I already mentioned, this the social dynamic. I think that's where Disgustin comes in also very heavily in this film. Justine is one of those bully magnets. Just people yeah. really like to pick on her because she's just trying to stay quiet 
basically. She's keeping to herself, so that can't happen. And people are always <laughs> up in her business. Bothers the hell out of me. The hazing in this movie. Every time I read descriptions, like, oh, due to like a brutal hazing ceremony, the actual ceremony that they do to you know, the catalyst with the animal blood and the rabbit liver and stuff. I, yeah. I'm like, you're in vet school. That actually kind of makes sense to me. You kind of get, you have to get used to this stuff. Yeah. So, you know, of course a bunch of drugged up college kids are going to be messing around <laughs> with the blood bank <laughs> in the, in the door, you know, the, the college. So they got to find something to keep them entertained. Yeah. But it's the stuff like breaching your living space and kidnapping you and making you crawl on your hands and knees throughout the parking lot to get to a rave you didn't ask to go to that's the stuff that bothered me i was like oh i would be out of the school so fast (laughs) i wouldn't (laughs) even make it like as soon as i step in my room i'm getting in my car and i'm going home yeah i was shocked how many people were into it i'm like is this just france or am i that boring (laughs) <laughs> I would not be into this. I am totally that boring, so uh, <laughs> let enough. me go home. <laughs> I, I just didn't get it, and it took me a while to realize. I, I, maybe that's intentional, but it, it really took me a while to realize that they were part of like a student organization within the university. Yeah, I didn't because those things I am kind of used to. If you're a part of those, I used to live next door to one of them, and just heard plates shattering against the walls, people screaming. Oh my gosh, it was terrible. And they get in the news all the time for almost killing people all the time. Oh my gosh! Yeah, and they still That's get terrifying. funding. I don't know how. I don't know how they're a thing. It's so not a thing here. Like the really? Greek, the Greek system's not a thing here. Like fraternity houses and sororities, not a thing here. In the Netherlands, it's it's something that it's it's more what you see in Raw. How it's more like. It's not Greek-oriented, but it comes, I guess, from the same tradition. But it really is more just, hey, this is the real world, so suck it up kind of a thing. Yeah. You know, to be powerful, you have to step over the weak, and we don't want the weak amongst us, that kind of stuff. And it's it's vile. I hate it. Um, yeah. Disgusting. It, it is. And these people were just taught to treat people like meat, essentially. Which, I guess, when you're being a vet, makes sense. Yeah. <laughs> that makes but, sense. That part makes sense. The, but for the, rest uh, the of comparison's it, not too, you know, far, far-fetched. No. And I know people from, like, the medical community as well, and they're actually dorks. I, I don't, <laughs> like, it's not this shit. They're yeah. doing, like, Shakespearean plays in the cafeteria about medical uh, tools, you know? Oh, my gosh. <laughs> so, yeah, big I'd nerds, so be there. Nerds. I'd be there. <laughs> <laughs> and these are the people who are the like the human body equivalent of what we were wa- watching. And this is a woman that when I was doing improv would come in. We're like, hey, what's going on? She's like, I removed a foot today. It was awesome. Oh. <laughs> so did you know? Really, yeah, exactly. We're like, well, that's an, I, I I did my taxes, but oh, cool. Oh, cool. Uh, uh... <laughs> Uh, but you know so I know medical people are like that they have to like yeah. turn off this they don't get grossed out by things very easily they're just like oh you find that gross wait till you know what lives inside of you <laughs> they're oh, really dark no I don't need that know? existential crisis right now uh, yeah and they have a lot of fun <laughs> doing it and so they're usually really dark people but what we yeah. see in this movie I'm like I don't know maybe this is like a French college thing but man they are going real hard on the hazing oh, yeah. I think for me on a, the social disgust level the most disgusting scene of the whole movie is when she gets the paint splashed on her and they throw her in the closet and say, make green with the other guy. 
Oh yeah, that's horrible, uh, isn't it? I was tense throughout <sighs> the whole scene. It's one of those scenes where you know I've had it in other movies. Have you seen May? Yes. Yeah. So that movie gives me a lot of tension because I can relate to May a lot. I kind of want her to take a better path. I see where this is going. These people don't deserve this. Yeah. Because uh, she's just misinterpreting everything. In this movie, I'm not really so upset or tense about her hurting anybody. I'm more like, could you do it now? <laughs> Throughout <laughs> most of this film, because they're making me tense. Yeah. It's quite the opposite. Whereas May is confused about what seems to be normal Gen Xer kind of speak to each other. Justine is very well aware of the situation and she's not putting up with it. Yeah. She's, uh, yeah, that, oh, because I, I, I've always forgotten that when you do look at things like disgust and the grotesque, that it's not necessarily the visuals that we're confronted with. And the thing is that they're in a setting where it can definitely lend itself to disgusting, disturbing imagery. And I think that more so the behavior of the people in the film is also at that level of disgust that we're visually seeing as well. And yeah, there's lots of interactions, especially um, when Justine and Adrian are at a petrol station and oh, yeah. they're approached by that older man who is like saying like really gross things about Adrian. He obviously wants Adrian to you know join him in his truck. But um, you forget that these interactions are disgusting as well. And mm -hmm. yeah, and I, I, it's funny because I just never really thought about it in that context until you're like, no, these societal things are also disgusting. And I was like, oh my fucking God, yes, they are. What the hell? Why didn't I think about that myself? Well, because these sorts of aesthetics are the word aesthetics, right? It already makes your brain think about of an image possibly a sound if you are more driven towards audio but we're usually thinking about color schemes texture things of this nature depth and it's just in film there's just so much more going on that of course in the writing dialogue is a very big part of it and, and human interaction as well and i do love a director like this that tries to implement that into the aesthetic parts of the film. Yeah. So this is a great follow-up from last week's discussion that I had with Brian Kuyper on The Fly, since that one's also about the way society treats people with physical abnormalities or just getting older, you know, how we can treat the elderly as if they're kind of like, ugh, and diseased and, and other, because you just look different than you, people remember you looking. Yeah. And then, of course, that whole exploration from yourself as well. Who am I? What does this mean? I'm different than who I was yesterday, which gets you into that existential kind of dread as well. Cronenberg, you know. Uh, and this is kind <laughs> of like the female Cronenberg film for me. It's without all of that kind of Lynchian or Barker style weirdness to it. Very grounded, very unflinching. But there's that scientific element of the body and the flesh that permeates throughout this film. Yeah, that is so impersonal, and that so that's what we were discussing last time is that there's something just horrifically disgusting about talking about the human body as a thing, yeah, like as a specimen. Just that on its own, you know, like an isolated object rather than yeah. the interconnected between like consciousness and body. Exactly, 
if you think of your organs as the very organs that you pull out of an animal to eat, you're just like, and suddenly you don't want to eat it anymore. Exactly. This brings me to our quote, actually. I want to get into that. This is a great moment to discuss this. This quote, which I will take a quick look at and kind of paraphrase again. So what we're discussing here is just the kind of allure of discussing things in stories and in art. How just like there's a paradox for horror, that whole why would you want to watch or be or read, you know, be associated with an activity that gives you discomfort, right? Like what's how do you get pleasure and discomfort? This is how do you get pleasure from disgust? Because we were discussing early on, before we were recording, we were talking about like Kantian philosophy and ethics and stuff, how the Enlightenment period, it's really old and dusty. Oh, yeah. <laughs> uh, and in that, they're just like, oh, disgusting things are just, don't even think about them. I I'm only thinking of beautiful things. You know, they wanted a perfect idealistic world that can't be bothered with things that make them feel uncomfortable unless it's something terrifying and masculine and makes them feel so much awe and power towards it but disgust is uh, i just don't like to feel that <laughs> not allowed so yeah very very much a attitude to have well this quote comes from someone i've actually quoted in our section on beauty uh, carolyn Korsmeyer, but from a different article in this case a book which is savoring disgust the foul and the fair in aesthetics where she's actually trying to bridge the gap between pleasure displeasure disgust beauty all of these different modes to try to show that like it or not there is something tantalizing about it because you keep coming back to gross things you know i don't know if you ever experienced this because i don't know how universal or worldly this website was but in the 90s when the internet was first kicking off you know we didn't have the dark web <laughs> the web was dark enough oh yeah you had rotten.com mm, yes. you had it oh yes okay. did you go on it um i can't remember i just remember that it existed and that's about it <laughs> it had a reputation that's for sure yeah and for me in high school actually junior high we were talking about rotten i went on it a few times and yeah that's where stuff you're gonna see just some of the most gnarly impersonal looks at viscera and, and just nasty stuff. I mean, as the name implies, you're going to see decaying bodies. You're going to see somebody who smashed their hand with a hammer. And it's mind-boggling to watch it and look at it. But for some reason, we were all like, have you been to Rotten.com? Like, oh, i got to check that out. And we're just going, like in a uh, garbage can next to it. And then we tell our <laughs> friends, like, don't go there. It's the, I'm going to go on tonight, but don't go there. Don't you look at it. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, but I can't look away. Oh, yeah. And that's what Course Meyer is talking about here, this emotion that we get with disgust. But what I love the most is like how she's saying, like emotions just kind of happen to us. And I think that's the most interesting thing. Disgust is an emotion that we tend to go, oh, no, 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 no. That's why Kant and all of his uh, very frail uh, German uh, cohorts were not really wanting to talk about it because of all of the aesthetic emotions that we have, Disgust is probably the only one that is not mediated. When you feel yeah. it, it's real. It doesn't oh, matter yeah. what the source is anymore. Like, if I see somebody being attacked by a murderer with a knife on screen, I'm tense. I'm scared. If there's a murderer in my house, oh, it is a different emotion. Yeah. But 
if I see dog poop all over the wall and I see a film with dog poop all over the wall, I'm probably going to have the same response looking at it. <laughs> it's a very, um, yeah, like you said, it's not a mediated emotion, is it? Because no matter what disgusts you is going to get that reaction. It's, but that's all, disgust is also very subjective too, which I find incredibly fascinating. Right? You would think it would be universal since it, on an instinctual level, if we're going to go back to that allegory of like animalism, it's for us to not be around impurities and dangerous elements that are going to be toxic to us, basically. That's what it's there for, is to make us go like, oh, this is rancid, I can't eat it. Yeah. But, you know, then but then you take that scene of the flaking skin, and here we are, we have a, a completely different feeling on the scene. <laughs> As someone who uh, peels very, you know, every summer, um, oh, it's just gross. <laughs> I find dead skin very disgusting. Fair enough. I mean, I find other people's dead skin on me very disgusting. Oh, but... why is it on you? Well, no, I mean, if it were to be, <laughs> then I'd be grossed out. But watching oh, somebody else deal with up. their problem. I, I yeah, Well, I would just be like, ah, what the hell? But... Um, <laughs> I don't know. For some reason, I guess I'm just like, it's his skin. That one doesn't bother me. But as you say, it's very subjective. And I don't know yeah. why. I don't, it doesn't make any sense. It's really interesting that, you know, something that disgusts me isn't going to disgust someone else in the same way. Right? Uh, it's a very, um, yeah, it's so fascinating that, you know, you've chosen disgust because it's so, <laughs> you know, oh, wow. I'm just, there's a lot of things going on in my brain. <laughs> Oh, please, share, share. I was just talking about, because um, in, in Kantian philosophy, he's also talking about, like, ugliness and disgust being, you know, the exact opposite of particular emotions and that yeah. um, it's it's a very uncontrolled, whereas, like, you can control things that make you happy or make you angry. And disgust is one of those things that is, you don't know when it's going to cause you to be disgust. Did. Yes. If that makes sense. Okay, here's a good example. <laughs> name, name a condiment on, say, a sandwich or for fries that you just can't do. What, what do you find disgusting? Oh, not a lot. Okay. Mushrooms. 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 Uh, disgusting. Mushrooms. Disgusting. Love them. So here's a funny thing with mushrooms for me. The ones you eat, totally cool with. If I see a mushroom grow anywhere near my house, <laughs> I'm like, what did I do wrong? Yeah, get away from me. Yeah, right? Like, it's like the house is diseased and I did it. Yeah. <laughs> so, okay. Um, I can't do string beans. I don't okay. know if they call them that uh, in Australia as well. Yeah. I think, okay. I think we're thinking of the same thing. All right. Now, granted, that has to do with, like, memories and just a feeling and association. But, nope. I smell them. I leave. <laughs> it's basically, I'm out. I'm out. <laughs> That ruined the whole dish. Thank disgusting. you Disgusting. Very Thanks. Very disgusting. So I'm, you sounded so like, yeah, but it's just string beans. It's fine. See? And that's that's what's so <laughs> fascinating about disgust is, you know, a, a common event that causes anger would probably anger both you and myself. Unless we get on an ideological level, of course, because that's oh, where yeah, you that's... have like a, a choice that you've made. You know, you have an opinion that you're yes. going to hold on to. Yeah. You are right, yeah. In general, the feeling of anger is probably going to be pretty universal. Like, we don't yeah. like getting cut off in the car, for instance. No. But disgust is just unbridled. It's like, you don't know when it's the sensation is going to come over you. 
and it might not happen that same way the next time that you come across that situation true you can build a tolerance to certain things yeah i think that's where this film is coming into play again because i the one thing that i did look up about the film is for one i wanted to know if that tranquilizer scene with the horse was real and it was what they did was they got a local vet to sedate a horse that they were going to treat and then they just had the cast watch as students so it was oh. all just like well this is <laughs> we were going to do it today anyway so uh she's like can we film it come on fine. in guys <laughs> yeah so the, the horse was just going to have a little surgery and the horse was fine um, but it's just a harrowing thing to see if you're not used to how it looks but when I looked that up, I found uh, some descriptions of what de Corneau's purpose, or at least motivations, I guess, behind it. Or, no, inspiration. That's the word I'm looking for. Some inspirations for the film. In fact, like, I, did you know that her parents come from a medical background? No, I didn't. There you go. One of her parents is a gynecologist, and I think the other one was like a general practitioner. And so she was raised in that environment of people just talking about like the flesh, you know, like these people talking about people as if they're not people and yeah. it always disgusted her in how cold and clinical and unfeeling they kind of seemed towards other people and then you of course see the social structures that are in all of these different industries and institutions which of course is disgusting in and of itself to see the correlation between the two probably becomes pretty clear if you've raised around that area your whole life and you become a Justine essentially where you're just yeah. kind of Ugh, with your lip curled up the whole way through <laughs> so and I think that permeates a lot in her work you, you definitely see her in this film specifically taking that to task by showing a little bit of the realities so we see how people party in their universities we see how they treat other people and at the same time giving us a body horror film that she being desensitized just goes deal with it oh <laughs> <laughs> uh, well look i already have dealt with it so now you all have to deal with it yeah exactly too bad so what sad. A, <laughs> so let's then talk about the because we've okay we mentioned the social we've mentioned the you know the visuals so therefore the physical how about we merge the two just a little bit since we haven't sure. really gotten too much into that apart from some icky moments of you know people getting each other's like personal space too much but i do feel that since this movie's lauded as a very strong feminist story which i do see that of course i would love to hear your thoughts on how this movie kind of approaches say identity through this lens of this like very cold body horror that's really an interesting question um as someone, you know, who has gone through puberty and that whole sexual awakening and discovery of, you know, different parts of my own sexuality and gender, I, watching Justine go through this transformation from being, you know, basically an entity that is codependent on her parents to becoming this independent, um, well, she still depends on her father at the end, you know, her father to provide explanations and, and answers for her. But we see her seeing how far she can push boundaries in discovering her identity. And I think that everybody, when they are in these discovery journeys, if you will, do push those boundaries for in relationships, in their own interactions, 
and their you know own thoughts there's a scene where uh justine's getting ready to go to a party and she's got headphones in and she's listening to this song about you know sleeping with men and being you know this sexual powerful being and it is so far detached from the justine that we met at the start where she does have this very you know interdependence on other people and what other people are doing to help her make decisions and then we see you know her transforming into this young woman and I think it's just really fascinating to see a coming-of-age film that looks at the horrific side of self-discovery and how it can manifest for different people and what it means to different people and for different filmmakers. And I always love like a horror coming-of-age because it just is depicted sometimes in the most horrific ways. And I think that that is such a testament to our own journeys in finding who we are and how it impacts everybody else around us when we are because you know self-discovery isn't always just a personal journey it's we're taking others along the ride you know for the ride with us Mm -hmm. Uh, and, and justine does you know she she sleeps with her roommate adrian and um there's a consequence that follows that you know he ends up being eaten by her sister and there are you know, these scenes where she is thrust into, you know, sexual um, situations where she either doesn't know what she's doing, is very sure of what she's doing, and very certain that she doesn't want to be doing that. And I don't know, it was just a really fascinating depiction of her, you know, being set free, basically, from the these restrictions that she's felt within the home. And she's kind of like, uh, and like we said at the start, she's kind of just thrown into school and her parents are like, right, bye, see ya. We're not going to tell you that you could be accountable. Just don't eat meat. <laughs> and it's I feel don't, like don't there is, yeah, there is no guideline on how to grow up. Like, there's nothing your parents can say or do that will prepare you for that kind of shit. True. And also, I think it's a great allegory for how parents often just say, just be a good person. Yeah. <laughs> and you kind of make it up while you're there, what that means. And of course, that's where the disappointment comes in when they're like, oh, I just wanted you to be a good person. And you're like, I just wasn't you. Yeah. You know, and really, was I not you or am I, was I not who you are now? You know? Yeah, exactly. That's a big, important part. Fortunately, they don't get a lot of that in the film. You do have some pretty nasty shit that her dad said to her, especially when they're in the hospital where, I, oh, that one hit me like a brick when he said, yeah. Yeah, don't have two daughters. It's too much. I'm like, she's your youngest daughter. So you're <laughs> Thanks, telling her Dad. that she's the problem. Thanks for that. Oh, terrible. I, I wonder, though. Um, I see where you're, where you're coming from, and the movie does all of those things really, really well. Do you feel it would have been as effective in telling this story were it not for the body horror in the film? Um, no. I think showing the physicality of growing up and self-discovery was really interesting how it manifested in different things that usually come from stress or from you know introducing ourselves to new experiences Mm -hmm. Uh, like the rash she's told that it's food poisoning and it's like okay but what what did she eat what was this new experience that gave her body this exterior what was is this that these are con you know consequences manifesting on her physically 
And I yeah. think that that was really interesting. Yeah, and for me, it's... So there are dramas that have told this type of story time and time again to a very strong effect, I'd say, as well. Let's take a movie like Girl Interrupted. That's another coming-of-age style story that puts a character under a lot of duress in an environment that they're not familiar with and through others try to kind of figure out who they are. Now, granted, it is the very sappy drama of the week where it has to have that mildly <laughs> happy ending, uh, but you have a lot of these movies. I feel that what de Corneau has done that is so special in the use of this form of body horror by using the horror genre to begin with is making us feel not just feel an emotion I, I said this with the fly as well that you could have a drama and then just feel sad or hopeful yeah. or whatever and all that's in this movie too that's where the human interaction comes into play because it's all you're going to get in the drama the grounding the drama it's all there but when we see her peeling off skin, when we see her <laughs> biting her own arm during a very violent sexual act and essentially sexually assaulting somebody who's saying to stop, you know, when we see the extremity of these situations and we feel those visceral, oh, I can't believe she bit a chunk out of her face, those moments. Yeah. I feel that horror is the only genre that creates that level of immediate emotional response that highlights that subtext that you have in the background and makes it more thrown into the foreground yeah especially in this movie this movie for me i like i said earlier i was so tense watching this movie <laughs> because of the performances but also because of like you put it the stress the stress that she's going through we see exactly what her triggers are. We just don't know how they're going to manifest. And that's the scary part of it. And that's what I love horror about. It's just so good at taking something that we understand and then makes you terrified of the parts of it you don't understand. Yeah, absolutely. And I think that Dakono definitely represents that brilliantly throughout this film. Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, I don't know. Was there any thing in particular else about Raw that you wanted to bring up before we potentially wrap things up? I think we've covered everything. I wrote a, a big list and I've mentioned all of them, so... Excellent. I'm yes, pretty impressed uh, with myself. <laughs> well, I'm impressed with you too. You've done a Thanks. great job. <laughs> <laughs> I probably would have had more, but this is a first time viewing, so if anybody's out there is like, why didn't you mention this? Why didn't you mention that? This scene, that scene? I'm like, because they're not in my head. <laughs> uh, I need to watch it more times. I'm still absorbing this. This movie is going to stay with me for a while because it, it was not at all what I thought it was going to be. Instant, like, full on. I got to get a Blu-ray of this now. Yes. Yeah. I saw this on Netflix. And, uh, yeah, I got I to gotta own this one. So, super special movie. I'm so happy you brought it to me. And I'm so happy to be able to talk to you about it as well. I think we had a, I've had a wonderful conversation with me you too. about this. I'm glad I got to talk about it. <laughs> Excellent. I'm glad I got to make your skin crawl just a little bit with the conversation. That's what I, I just feel like if everybody's going to make me sit through these movies, I have to get back. I am Alexia in the situation. You cut off my finger and I will make sure that your cheek is bitten off somehow. Uh, <laughs> okay, well, then I think it's time to wrap things up. So this podcast is sponsored by Logic Locks. Logic Locks curates and facilitates immersive real-life games for the masses. 
Is your company looking for an activity to do for your next team outing? Play their online game show experience, no pants required. Looking for a fright? Follow a curious researcher into the depths of the Amsterdam catacombs from the relative safety from your own home. Check out LogicLocks.com for more information on this and other experiences that they provide. The Beauty of Horror is also proudly sponsored by the Anatomy of a Scream Pod Squad. For more introspective, semi-academic, and fun podcasts like this one, be sure to check out anatomyofascream.com. If you're interested in more of my musings on beauty in horror or horror in general, you can follow me on Twitter, which is at underscore shockaholic, and you can check out my website, shockaholic.org. I'd love to hear you and your thoughts either on Twitter at beautyhorrorpod via email, which is at beautyofhorrorpod at gmail.com or on Discord. That Discord server does still exist, I promise you, even though it's a little quiet, but please come on in and make it less quiet. Let's talk a bit. Kat, thank you again so much for sitting down with me. I know that it was quite early for you uh, nice. to do this. Oh, good. <laughs> and uh, I want to know, like, so where can the people find you? Can you tell them a little bit more about where to find your podcast, your book, anything else you might want to plug in, in the coming months, say? Uh, let, let everybody know. Sure. So you can find me at catstead underscore on Twitter. You can find everything that I do there. Or you can find my podcast at tgifpod underscore. And uh, the next episode that I have coming up is with my really good friend Dylan. And we're talking about a cure for wellness. So I'm really excited Ooh. about that. Uh, and right. you can find all the information about the book at Here Our Screen on Twitter with two M's. I'm fighting for the one M screen. <laughs> it's enough. been a year long battle, so. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I'm still kind of trying to get that shockaholic one as well, but, you know, <laughs> I get you. I get the underscoring. Or the, battle case, the battle is real. The battle is real. Yes, everybody, be sure to check out all those bits of social media and go to the website as well for Hear Us Screen. Remember, if you purchase the book, if you visit the website, if you help them along in any way, shape, or form, even just by retweeting, sharing on Facebook, whatever, you are helping out, not just Kat, but a whole slew of talented people who have been putting out their hearts and souls, very similar to the heart and soul that we've seen in this movie, you know, Raw. This is the kind of emotion that we're talking here. So please support this. Support voices that are often not heard, either due to systemic issues or just due to bad luck, you know. Thank you for bringing the good luck, Kat, and making Thanks. sure that people have a platform to speak. Thank you. That, that means a lot to me. And thank you, dear listener, for joining us and talking about the disgust that lurks within the horrible. Goodbye. There's no duty here.